Thanks for listening to The River's Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. Hey church, I hope you're all doing well and staying safe and healthy. I hope you're getting time with your family and your friends at home as much as possible. Uh, I am not the usual guy. If you haven't (laughs) been with us, uh, our senior pastor Rob is usually the one to speak to you guys over the weekend. I'm here because he's sick. Um, So please be praying for him. He'll be back, I'm sure, very, very soon. Uh, Let me just say, echoing what Brad said last week, this is weird. Uh, Talking to you guys when you're not actually here, staring at a room full of empty chairs and my phone on a uh, tripod, it's just strange. It doesn't feel right. I'm glad that we can do it this way. I'm glad that there's still a way that we can sort of be together and that I can share God's word with you. But man, I miss church. I miss you guys. Uh, Before we jump into God's Word really quick, I kind of want to just tell you what my experience with what we're going to talk about today has been. So we're in the middle of a temporary difficulty, right? This virus, COVID-19, it's gone on longer than I think a lot of people anticipated, and the quarantine has been difficult, but it is temporary, right? It's not permanent, won't be like this forever. But what I found is in the midst of our very dramatically changed circumstances, God has been speaking to me, and maybe you found the same thing, things about my faith and things about the way I look at him and the way I look at other people uh, that will probably change the way that I look at church and my uh, Christianity and my way of worshiping and following Jesus forever. That this temporary crisis has drawn my attention to some things that maybe without it I wouldn't have seen. I don't know. I mean, God can do whatever he wants. He can show me it however he wants. But I know that during this temporary difficulty, God has revealed things to me that will change my faith forever. And one of them, the one I want to talk about today, is the way that we love and express love towards other people and what that really means for Christians. You know, I have a professor and a mentor. Uh, I'm a master's student in Bible college right now, going through it with my wife. And I have a lot of really great leaders there who are speaking into my life on a regular basis, but one of them has said something over and over and over that has really stuck with me. He says, words don't mean things, people mean things. And when we're talking about Christian love and defining what that means and what it looks like for us to love people the way God's called us to love people and to love people the way God's loved us, when we're talking about all that, it's important that we all mean the same thing when I say love, that you understand what scripture and what I'm talking about. You know, for example, I could say I love my wife, Megan, right? And you would probably know that by the context of her being my wife and the normal love that a husband has for his wife, that I'm talking about romance, a romantic love, right? Whereas if I, you know, said I love Austin, who's here in the room with me, you would, I hope, know that I don't mean it that way, that I'm talking about a brotherly love, right? The love you'd have for a sibling or a friend. Um, And then if I were to say I love the Lord of the Rings or the NBA or Star Wars um, or I love Shepherd's Pie, right? I'm not talking about any kind of relational love. I'm just saying I'm a big fan of those things. We use the word love in a really broad sense a lot of times in our culture. It can have many different meanings. And it's important that when we look at the commands in Scripture— to love other people and to love God and to even love our enemies, that we know what Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament meant when they gave us those challenges and those commands, right? When Jesus says that 
people will know we're his disciples by our love for one another. And that the greatest two commandments are to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor. Or when Paul says, without love, all of our spiritual gifts and insights and spiritual wisdom, they're almost irrelevant if we don't have love. When they say those big, profound things, those those almost shocking statements about how central love is to the Christian faith, it's important that we understand what they mean by that little word, love. And I think there's no better place in Scripture to look for an explanation of love and how it works in the kingdom of God and how it's defined when Jesus and his apostles used it than 1 John. I've been reading a lot of 1 John while we've all been stuck at home. Um, especially I've reread now probably three or four times just this week, 1 John chapter 4. And I want to share with you from that this week. I'm going to read a big chunk of the Bible right now, okay? And I know the temptation because I do it when someone goes on like a paragraph of verses from Scripture is to just kind of zone out. Um, If you do, it'll be okay. We'll go through a little bit and a little bit and uh, pick it apart and and really understand every little aspect of it. But try to pay attention because sometimes when we see the whole thing at once, we actually get a good idea of the big picture ideas, okay? But I'm going to read that. I'm going to start uh, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. If, you're got, you know, if you have your Bible right in front of you or if you're on your laptop, you can just pop onto Bible Gateway or uh, pop U version open on your phone. But uh, here's what he says. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Right? That's 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Love for John, in that passage at least, is not this ambiguous or broad term. It's actually a very specific thing. And I want to talk about two things. First, how he defines love and then how he explains it. Right? He gives a definition of love, a pretty precise one. And then he explains how love is supposed to function in our lives as Christians both in our relationship with with God himself, but also, and maybe more importantly here, in the way we treat other people. So let's talk about the definition. Um, First, he gives it to us pretty plain and simple. This is how God showed his love among us, right? He gives us that, that definition. He sent Jesus. That's the answer, right? That's how God has showed us love. And then he says this even more plainly. This is love, colon, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for us. That's huge, right? Because we immediately have this understanding of a very particular and important kind of love that Jesus and John are commanding us as Christians to possess. A love that is almost by surprise, you could say. It's not just that it's not earned, though it's certainly not earned, uh, but it's actually not even being looked for, right? Before we even knew that we needed Jesus to go to the cross for us, before we even knew who God was, before we were even born, God chose to love us and express his love for us at the cross. That's the kind of love we're called to emulate. 
And that's a big calling. That's a huge calling. It almost stresses me out a little bit thinking that part of my job is to love other people around me in this huge, radical, almost counterintuitive way that God loved me before I even knew I needed his love. But let's look into the explanation of how that works, right? John give us, gives us almost like a technical explanation. It's very, very practical, the way that he describes love working in the life of Christians and moving outward towards those around them. He tells us first, love comes from God, that everyone has been born, who has been born of God um, and knows God loves, right? That one of, the, one of the qualifiers, one of the qualities for people who know God is that they're people of love because love comes from God. In fact, love is impossible without God. That when we try to form love in our own heart, uh, it's a fruitless effort. Love flows from the Father to his children, to others. That we're not actually capable of generating it in and of ourselves. It has to be formed in us by God. That God possesses love, and then he passes it on to us by loving us. Right? That there's almost this, this wordplay at play in what John writes. He's talking about love as a noun and as a verb, right? God is love, and God's character and nature is to be loving, and he wants us to be like him. So he passes that love noun to us by what? By loving verb, us, right? Love is a quality we possess, but it's also a thing that we do. God is love, and God loves, and we're called to be people of love and to love in the same way. And that is counterintuitive and almost antithetical to the way the world naturally works. You know, the, the reality is, is we're broken. We're hurting people. We're damaged. We all have pain. We all have suffering. We all have sin. We all have things in us and about us that aren't right, that are messed up because we live in a fallen world. And humanity has a fundamental love problem, a love deficit we're not actually capable of loving people the way we ought to. In fact, our natural would be to continue that cycle of pain and damage and brokenness. That not loving people, but rather breaking people and damaging people and hurting people. That is what's natural to us. That our best attempts to love people apart from God will fail. That within and of ourselves, it's not possible. And the calling that God puts on you and I as followers of Jesus stressful calling, to love others the way that he's loved us. It's only possible because God loved us first. You know, John creates a correlation here in this passage. He is explaining it in such a way as to create almost a dichotomy or, or a, a correlation between God's love and our ability to love. And it works kind of like this. You know, the more of God's love we acknowledge and receive and recognize— the more time we spend in his presence receiving his love, acknowledging and seeing and, and being able to sense and feel and experience and meditate on the love that God has for us. Our, as we do that, our capacity to love other people just grows, right? That our ability to love other people is tied directly to our ability to receive God's love towards us. That's important because I think very often we believe that growing as a Christian, growing in the discipline, the simple discipline of loving other people, of bearing the fruit of the Spirit, of being a person who's kind and patient and hopeful and joyful and loving, I think so often we think that those are just matters of 
trying harder, of discipline. Uh, I could be a more loving person if I just worked harder at it. And the reality is the very opposite. We can work hard at it all day, but at the end of the day, love comes from God. Its source is in God. And we have to receive love from God in order to be able to pour out love on other people. And the more we receive love from God, the better our ability to love others. And then John explains this. And this is probably the craziest thing to me about this whole passage. In verse 12, John says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. In a way that, you know, it almost to me sounds like blasphemy. Almost. If it wasn't in the Bible, I might think that it was. God tells us that when we choose to love other people with an unconditional, unearned, surprising love, when we express kindness and goodwill and graciousness and gifts towards other people as expressions of the same love he has for us towards them, we're actually not just emulating God. We're not just doing something like what he does towards us. We're actually extending his love to other people. That at the beginning, when Jesus went to the cross, he started this love plan, if you will, by which he would extend love to the whole world through you and I. That we would receive the love of God by recognizing what he did at the cross through Jesus, paying for our sins and transgressions. And in turn, we would then go on to love those around us, friends, family, enemies, strangers, and we would extend and complete his work of love. That word complete is literally right there in the text. His love is made complete in us. And there's a beauty, but there's also a challenge there, right? The beauty is we get to participate in extending the love that's seen at the cross to the world around us. That's amazing. We get to participate in God's supreme act of love, that his love isn't actually fully completed towards the rest of humanity unless we, by participating, carry it on to them. That's awesome. But again, it can also be a little bit scary that you and I could rob God of that which he's called us to do, getting his love to all the other people around us. And to be honest, that would terrify me a little bit, that that God says our love is made complete in him because my fear would be, well, what if I don't complete it? What if I don't rightly love all the people around me? What if I can't? And the comfort there is that God gives us an assurance that because he has first loved us, we're capable of loving. You know, that there's a part of that fear that maybe is a healthy thing. It forces us to look back to the promises of God about love. That he forms in our hearts, that he impresses upon our hearts, that he transforms us and changes us internally so that we're capable of things that maybe we don't even realize we are yet, so that we can love people in that God way that goes beyond normal human love, so that we can love people in that love by surprise sort of way where they don't deserve it, they haven't earned it, there's no relational reason why we should even owe it to them, except that we know God loves them as much as he loves us and he's called us to extend that love and we're capable of extending it because we've experienced it ourselves. The longer we sit in the presence of God and receive his unconditional love, the higher our capacity is to love those people. My challenge to you is very simple. You're capable 
of loving people in a way that the world is not. What are you doing with that? You know, I, I would put it in two questions. A lot of us probably love someone the way John describes here. Someone, probably, at least one person in our life, most of us, purely just because we hear the teachings of Jesus regularly in church and we have a relationship with him, if you do, we've probably had the Holy Spirit at least do some work in our life to see that love poured out in some way in our lives. There's probably somebody, maybe your kids, maybe your spouse, maybe your parents, maybe siblings, extended family, friends, coworkers. There's probably someone or some people in your life that you already love this way. And maybe it comes very naturally. And so my first question would be, who is that person? And is there someone that you love that way in your life? But the question that I think will probably hit home and maybe strike a chord with most of us, I know it does with me, is who aren't you loving that way? Who aren't you loving unconditionally? Who aren't you completing the work of God towards in your life? Because the reality is we're called to do it for everyone. You know, the reality is, is Jesus names a lot of different targets for our love or his love passing through us. He tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He tells us to love God himself tells us to care for our family, to care for those in need. But maybe the most difficult too are that he also calls us to love strangers and he calls us to love our enemies. You know, I know for me, I've spent, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in my life trying to find a way to shrink the scope of Jesus' call to love. Because there are some people, it's really easy to love. There are some people who the idea of loving them excites me. The idea of trying to pour out God's unconditional love to them through me, that sounds amazing, right? My wife is someone who I hope I always show the love of Jesus to, right? Someday if I have kids, I hope that I love them the way my heavenly father loves me. My close friends who have been with me through pretty much my whole life, yeah, I want to show more of God's love towards them. But what about that guy who cut me off on my way here today, driving down Westage. What about the guy who goes off on you when you're just trying to have a friendly discussion in a small group or at your workplace or on social media? What about, you know, the, the guy who has made it their mission, it seems, to make you miserable or to bully you or to do whatever they can to make light of the things that matter to you? What about those people? What about people that Scripture would call our enemies? You know, we could go back and forth about whether or not Christians are even supposed to have enemies, but when the Bible talks about enemies, it's not talking about the way we think of them. It's talking about the way they think of us. The reality is, not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone's going to like me. Scripture talks over and over and over about how there are people in the world who, even just because we love Jesus and for no other reason, are going to have animosity towards us. And even those people who have that most pure and you would think that most, you know, vile or, or justified cruelty towards us, that we would have a justified reason for not wanting to love that person, right? I mean, if they're really just out to get me for my faith or just because some, of some other thing about me that I can't change or that I shouldn't have to change, why should I have to love that person, my enemy? And then what about strangers? I don't know them. You know, our society says that the 
people who are close to you are the people that should matter to you. You know, Scripture doesn't really allow there to be such a thing as people who we're out of relationship with. There's nobody who's allowed to be nobody to us. That's a crazy challenge, to love, you know, that guy standing on the side of the road who I don't know, to love the person who's sitting next to me at the red light, to love my neighbor who lives below me, who I've never talked to. You know, the reality of Scripture is that we're called to love our enemies. We're called to love strangers. We're called to love family members who have hurt us. We're called to love co-workers who got the promotion that we didn't get or managers and bosses who don't treat us fairly. We're called to love a lot of people that we might find it very difficult to love. And it's in those moments, maybe, that we need to hear what John says here the most. That we're not just loving people because it's a good Christian thing to do, but there's an underlying heavy spiritual reality. We're called to love people because we're extending God's love to them. And that when we deny people our love, we're denying them the completion of God's love. That we are the chosen vessels through which God shows people who he is. The God that no one has seen, if we love one another, lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When we fail to love then, God isn't seen by them and his love isn't made complete towards them. Now, I don't think God fails at loving people. If we blow it, he shows them love in some other way. I don't think it's like if you and I were a jerk to somebody, no longer is God capable of reaching that person. But for your sake and for my sake, I think we should rise to the challenge of completing God's love as he's called us to, right? Because he stressed the importance of us being a part of his love plan. So let me challenge you with this. Let me make this easy, small, simple, bite-sized. God's called us to love other people, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's actually part of his plan for how people meet him, for how people encounter his love through us. Who aren't you completing his work towards? Who in your life aren't you completing his work towards? And I don't say that in a condemning way. Because I can think right now, talking to all of you, of people in my life that I know I haven't completed God's work of love towards. I'm in the same boat as all of us. No one has it perfect. But it should be important to us when we read John's words, really God's words through John. It should be important to us that we make it a priority to be consistently and continually growing in that way. And here's why. You know, I love theology, okay? I love studying big, thick, systematic theology books. I love the academic side of the Christian faith, the intellectual understanding of who God is. That matters a lot to me. And one thing because of that that I've had to learn is that devotion, more often than not, is more important in the Christian faith than intellect or understanding. It's important to learn about God. It's important to understand theology. It's important to know what we believe and who God is. Those things are important. I'm not saying learning doesn't matter. But devotion usually matters more. The simple things, the small things that are difficult, that the central things that Jesus commands us to do, love people, love God, be kind, be patient, be gentle, 
the basic things that even a five-year-old child could be taught in a Sunday school class. Those things really do matter more than a lot of the head knowledge that I've stored in my brain at Bible college. The reality is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, knowledge puffs up, it's self-focused, and love builds up, it's others-focused. In Christianity, it's a religion of other focus. It's a religion that focuses on people other than ourselves. It's about pouring oneself out for the benefit of others, just like our Savior poured himself out for our benefit. And for us, we don't have a choice because anything that we build on top of love doesn't matter if our love is weak. I mean, Paul literally says in 1 Corinthians that if we have not love, our spiritual gifts are irrelevant. You know, my ability to teach as a pastor, you know, um, Shayla's ability to lead people in worship and usher them into the presence of God as a worship pastor, Brad and Rob's abilities to lead and to guide our church, Mallory's ability to lead the young and maybe most vulnerable members of our church in children's ministry, all of that would be irrelevant if we weren't people who love. The same is true for you. Whatever gifts and knowledge and important skills to build up the church that God has given you, if you can't love other people, those things, they become irrelevant. These very simple, but maybe more difficult things, like just loving people, they matter the most. And so I want to encourage you with this. You know, nowhere in Scripture does God ever say, you teach because I first taught you. Or uh, you lead worship because I first led you in worship. Or, uh, you know, you serve in the greeting team or you serve at the info booth or you serve in the tech booth on Sunday morning because I first did those things. They're all important things. But there's only one thing where he says, you do this because I first did it for you. And that's love. There's only one thing where Jesus makes a particular moment of pointing out to us that the reason we're capable of this radical, crazy calling of loving other people unconditionally is because he did it towards us first and he showed us how to do it in that process. You have the capacity to love people in a way no one else does. As a Christian, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and you've been giving recognition of the incredible thing Jesus did at the cross on a level that other people don't have, and you are capable, as you sit in God's presence and receive his love, of pouring it out in a way that other people aren't. The reality is you have something the world cannot offer. You have God's love. My challenge to you is to find those people who you haven't been extending it to, and find a way a practical way, a physical way, a way that's recognizable to express that love to them. And do it soon. Do it today. Do it this week. I know I have people in my life who I need to show and extend God's love towards. I'm not sure entirely how I'm going to do that for some of them, if I'm being honest with you. And maybe for you, that's going to take some time in prayer and seeking Jesus and saying, Lord, what would you have me do to complete your work of love towards that person? How would you have me show them a random act of kindness? How would you have me display the person of Jesus through the way that I treat them? I promise you, though, there aren't enough people out there on their knees asking the Lord, God, help me love other people the way you want me to love them. Show me the practical way in which I'm going to do that and help me to have the willpower and the patience and the kindness and the compassion to do it. 
there's not enough people out there on their knees asking for that, for God to look at you when you do and say, no, I promise you he won't do that. God is patiently waiting for his sons and his daughters to look at him and say, Father, how do I be more like you in the way I love other people? If you do that, I promise he's going to meet you where you're at. Maybe you're one of those people who's like, you know what, I'm rough around the edges and loving people is just not the thing in my Christian faith that comes naturally to me. Expressing it, definitely not. I get that. I totally get that. But at the end of the day, it really isn't about what comes naturally to you. According to the Bible, this doesn't come natural to any of us. It's a miracle when it happens. And I want you to know this. Hold on to this. Remember this. This is God's word to you. God has given you the ability to love people in a supernatural way. It goes beyond yourself. It goes beyond what's normal. He's also given you the ability to experience his love in a supernatural way. I trust that God will be with you this week, church. I know that he loves you more than I possibly could, and I love you guys a lot. I hope that this week, whatever you experience or encounter with what we talked about today, that you will take time, please take time, to get in God's presence, to be with him, to ask him to show you and reveal to you his love, to help you to love other people the way that he has loved you first. And more than anything, I hope and I pray that you will encounter the presence of the living God this week. I hope that we can all do that together very, very soon. I love you guys and I miss you. Praying for you. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.